All right. Here we go. As you make your way back, grab your Bibles, John 3. As I get up here and I realize I'm not, that this, this thing sits on my pulpit, I'm not sure whether to be um, honored that someone was listening to a sermon or disgusted because they put this bottle of pee water up here. <laughs> but I've been getting texts all morning about what they'd pay me to drink it. And I don't know, I'm going to smell it, but I don't know that I can drink it. Oh my gosh, that is so nasty. It's like drinking a straight lemon. I can't even do it. We'll leave it here like I'm some sports person and it's an advertisement. <laughs> and I want someone to own up to it, but that's pretty funny. Oh man, good times. Now I just want to drink some purple Gatorade. I'm thirsty for it now. Good. Come on. Give me some of that Riptide Rush. Amen? No, I got one. <laughs> All right. John chapter 3, we've been going through uh, the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at how Jesus uh, is unexpected. Uh, because with all of the expectations for who the Messiah was going to be, Jesus, when he shows up, he obliterates all of our categories. He shatters every category of what we expected and what we thought the Savior would be like. And so, you know, two weeks ago, we looked about how we took water and turned it to wine. And, and, and we looked at how he, back a couple weeks ago, how, how he was the creator and he becomes the temple. And, and last week, Ryan preached and he showed us how Jesus goes into the temple and he doesn't like what he sees and he makes a whip and he begins to beat people and drive them out of the temple. And so Jesus at every turn shows us that he is not this gentle giant. He is not this uh, revolutionary figure that's going to come and wipe out the Romans. He, on every category and every level, obliterates our categories. And he does the same thing for us today. He shows us that to, to know him, to know the kingdom, to see the kingdom of God is something beyond our control and something that only he can give. We're going to take a look at it this morning, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Let's read the words of our God as John wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, when I was in youth group, I had uh, this youth minister who I think was trying to uh, show, lead by example and show me how you're supposed to talk to people and witness to people. And, and I remember we uh, being in like Walmart or Lowe's, you know, doing youth projects and going with him and, and him going, you know, to the checkout counter and really awkwardly, uh, you know, as you're getting checked out, he would say things to this person checking us out like, have you ever drank of the water that will make you never thirst again? And they were looking at like, what's this dude talking about? Uh, or, or he'd go to him and say, uh, you know, are you born again? Have you, do you, have you been born again? And then looking at him like, and I'm just standing here like, why are you doing this? Why you gotta be weird? Just stop being weird. You can talk to her about Jesus, just don't do it in a weird way. It's always the most awkward thing. What in the world are you talking about? But you see, we often, we have this insider language like, like that most of us in this room understand. Like when I say sin or sinner, y'all kind of know what I'm talking about. When, when I say everlasting life or when I say saved, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Or when I say born again, you know, many of you know what I'm talking about. But that's insider language. But people outside of here, when you say those things, they have no idea. Like what in the world are you talking about? Last week, we baptized two young ladies. It was awesome. And, and in talking uh, to one of them early on in that process, you, you know, she would say to me, y'all keep using this word saved. And I don't know what, what you mean by that. So that's insider language. And people often have no idea. And, and when we use this term born again, it comes from this text this morning. And I think even sometimes for us, we may not quite understand what that means. Like, is that just a synonym for saved? Or does that mean something different? I want to answer the question of the text this morning, which is, what does it mean to be born again? When we hear the term born again, Christians, sometimes you might think, or people might think, oh, you know, that's talking about really serious Christians. You know, those Bible-carrying, crucifix-wearing, honk-if-you-love-Jesus kind of Christians. You know, those people who, you know, put their hands in the air when they sing. Those people who, uh, you know, are always at the church whenever the doors are open. You know, those people who actually read their Bible at home. Those kinds of people. Those serious types. You know, or, or other times people think, you know, born again, it's talking about, you know, those people who have those really crazy type testimonies. You know, those people who they'll tell the testimony and like they were like strung out on drugs and they were about to kill themselves or, you know, this crazy big thing was about to happen and all of a sudden, bam, the Lord intervened and saved them, and they've been different ever since, you know, which is awesome. But sometimes people think, oh, those people, those people are born again, those people who have these really big life-changing kinds of stories, these supernatural changing type stories. I mean, that, those people are born again. But that's simply not what it means to be born again. We know this. We know that neither of these really examples are because of the guy who Jesus is talking to. Right, this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was this religious elite. He was the, on, on a council, uh, the ruling group called the Sanhedrin. 
He was a Pharisee, and he took his faith very, very, very seriously. This guy followed all the rules in the Bible to the letter. He did what the Bible told him to do, and his whole life, his, I mean everything, was marked by his religious commitment to following the Old Testament and following God and doing exactly what it said. And yet, Jesus is telling him that he needs to be born again. Jesus is telling him that he needs to be born again. So we know that it's not just those who take their faith super seriously. We know it's not just those who are really into their faith. Because Nicodemus had already done that. He was as serious as you could be. He followed all the rules, and yet still he needed a new birth. But it's also not those with powerful changing testimonies because Nicodemus was a man who had lived his whole life coming up the ranks of Jewish leadership. From a boy, he took seriously the commands of God. He was a moral man, a conservative type man. He grew up with moral structure. He would have had a moral authority in his life. He would have been the moral authority to tell you what a clean, good life looked like. He didn't have some big, crazy, dramatic, changey type testimony. And yet, Jesus is telling him, he needs to and that he can be born again, which means that being born again has nothing to do with having this crazy altered lifestyle, that you can come to know the Lord at a young age, have a boring testimony, and be born again. But let me say this, there is no such thing as a boring testimony, amen? Because if the power of God saved you and has transformed you, then that is a miracle that we must celebrate. So two things. One, being born again is not about uh, being a good person. It's not about being religious. It's not about doing the right things. So you can be like Nicodemus. You can be like this guy and, and you can be a great person. You can follow the rules. You can follow the Bible and yet not be born again. Because here we see Jesus telling Nicodemus that all of the religion in the world, all of the good things that he could do, all of his morality counts for nothing. And notice uh, what Nicodemus says to Jesus when he walks up to him. He walks up to Jesus and he calls him rabbi. Now, Jesus has no credentials. He, he did not follow another rabbi and grow up in, in the ranks of Jewish culture. He did not uh, have, was not educated by Jewish society. He has no credentials. And yet, Nicodemus walks up and he calls him rabbi, he calls him teacher, shows him respect. And more than that, he even goes on and he says, we know that you are from God. Because no one can do the things that you do unless God sent him. So we know that you're from God. You see, Nicodemus thinks very highly of Jesus. He respects him. He wants to learn from him. He believes God sent him. And yet, it is still not enough. Jesus tells him the only way that Nicodemus will ever see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God is if he is born again. Think highly of Jesus, to think much of Jesus isn't enough. So being born again, is it about doing all the right things? It's not about being religious. It's not about having some crazy testimony. None of these things matter. We need a new birth. So who is this new birth for? Who is this new birth for? Who gets it? My hope is by the end of this sermon, we'll answer that question. Who is it for? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this question. Where is the new birth from? Notice verse 3. It says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? So this is something all of us need, all of us want. If we want to see the kingdom and enter the kingdom, we've got to have this. 
And it's interesting that John, he very rarely uses the term the kingdom of God. And throughout all of his gospels and and all three of his letters, he rarely uses it. And so the fact that he uses it here is important. Matthew, Mark, and Luke use it all the time. John doesn't, so it's significant. When Jesus uses the phrase the kingdom of God, what would Nicodemus have thought about? Where is Nicodemus' mind going when Jesus says kingdom of God? Nicodemus is automatically going to think something. As a religious guy, as someone who's studied and has credentials and is a Pharisee and is all this, he thinks about something when Jesus says kingdom of God. And what is it that he thinks? For him, the kingdom of God was something far off in the distance. It was something ahead, something that would happen at the end of time. He would have believed that there was a, that the kingdom of God was coming, that there was a resurrection coming. But that would be later, at the end of time, when God's kingdom had finally come to earth, when God would set the world right, when justice would reign and righteousness would reign, and that God's kingdom was coming forever, when the, when the Messiah would come and, and take out the Romans, right, and set up God's kingdom forever on earth. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God, he's thinking about the future. That the new birth, when he says you've got to be born again, he's linking the kingdom of God and the new birth together and saying that those things are future. They're in the future. So Nicodemus, this is where his mind goes. The new birth is the power that God is using to fix the world. When he links those ideas together, new birth and the kingdom. That the new birth is what will happen on the day when the world is made right. That we are born again into a perfect, glorious world. And then... We'll be perfect. We won't sin. We won't have a desire to sin. We won't cheat or we won't be jealous. We won't be envious. We won't be mean. We'll be perfect. So this new birth that's in the future, it's way in the future when God's kingdom would come at the end of time. And Jesus is saying to us in this passage that he is bringing that new birth that's in the future into the present. He is saying that new birth that is coming when the kingdom of God comes. You get to have now. It's not complete. It's only partial, but he's given it to us now. You know, one of the things I love, I love science fiction. I'm kind of a nerd, and I love sci-fi movies and TV shows and all this stuff. And and I love shows that do time travel. And I love the idea of hopping in a machine and going back to the past and getting to relive other civilizations and see dinosaurs and and to see, you know, uh, the Colosseum and, and to see all these different time periods, the Civil War, all these different things. And it's so cool to think about being able to travel through time and doing that. What Jesus is saying here is kind of like that, except in reverse. You see, we are not going to the new birth, but the new birth is coming back to us. The new birth, this future reality that God is bringing in us, is coming into the past, into the present, into us now. The future is coming into you now. It's God's future present in your heart right now. The new birth is the power by which God is going to heal everything. And remove all evil, sin, everything. He's going to make all things new. And he's saying he's going to put it in your heart now. But only partially, but actually. And that's what it means to be born again. See, there is this version of you. There is this future version of you that you have always wanted to be. This future version of you that you always strive to be. As you strive to be a better person, as you strive to, as Nathan was talking about, weed out and remove those, those things that you realize are in your heart and in your life. And there's this future version of you that is a beautiful, that is a glorious, that is good. We strive to get there when we try to be a kinder person. We strive to become that person when we try to be more generous and more giving. 
We try to become that person when we try to be uh, uh, more patient and less irritable and more loving. But God is saying that through the power of the new birth, that future version of you, it's happening right now. That you right now are becoming that. That that new birth isn't something that you just have to wait on, but it's here now. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have to have this crazy, intense story where you go from, you know, way over here, strung out on drugs to something else. Now he's saying it's like Peter. Peter, one of the disciples, was this emotionally immature, emotionally unstable, impulsive, erratic man. Or it's like Paul, who, who's the opposite, who is hard, who is over-controlled, abrasive, and harsh, and self-righteous. But when they were born again, they both were changed. They became completely different men whom God used to change the world. And see, we are made out of the same stuff as those guys. We're made out of the same stuff. And so here's the point, that the future you is breaking into the present all the time. And God is making you into the most beautiful version of yourself. Now, you won't be perfect this side of heaven, but there is no fear no guilt, no hurt, no flaw, no mistake, no bad habit that the new birth can't at least partially repair now and will one day fully repair when we arrive. So this new birth is from the future and it is the power of God to change and transform the entire world and, and in your world right now, in your life right now. And so we gotta not settle for status quo. We have to not settle in our lives for just, well, this is the way it is. This is the way I'm going to be. This is all there is. No, God is saying, I'm going to make you into something glorious and beautiful, and I'm doing it even right now in your life. I love some of the songs we sang this morning that talked about that, right? That there is no pain wasted, no mistake wasted in your life. That every piece of pain, every bad choice, every mistake, everything in your life isn't wasted, but God is using it to shape and conform you like the potter does the clay and make you into something beautiful. So that's where it is from, but what does the new birth do? What does the new birth do? You see, there were a lot of illustrations that Jesus could have used. He could have, he could have talked about, uh, as the Bible often does, seeds growing in the ground, right, and bearing fruit. He could have talked about Ezekiel 37, where the dry bones become flesh and resurrection. It's a big theme in the Bible, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he chooses to talk about birth and a new birth or rebirth. And, and Nicodemus, when Jesus begins to talk about new birth, he doesn't get it, right? He doesn't. He starts thinking and imagine his wheels are turning. He's like, Okay, I want, Jesus, I want to do what you're saying. Can I somehow get in back into my mother's womb and come out again? Y'all like that, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, no, bro, you can't do that. That's not how it works. Nicodemus did not see, this is interesting, Nicodemus didn't even see a need for a new birth because he thought he could fix up his first birth good enough. And Jesus is basically telling us that our first birth is beyond repair. And that in order to fix us, he needs us to be born again. The Bible says that we were born of water, now we need to be born of the Spirit. And once we are, there is, uh, just as there is so much hope and life and love when a newborn baby comes into the world, so when we are born again, there is hope and life and love for us. I have four kids. 
There must be something in the water. And uh, watching your child be born is one of the most amazingly scary, exhausting things for a man to witness. Amen. I mean, it's exhausting. I mean, I slept so much. <laughs> like, that's real, though. That's a real thing. And it, so it's scary and it's wild and it's beautiful and it's overwhelming as you're there and you are helpless watching this thing happen and it's awesome. But what might be slightly more, uh, more better, better and interesting experience is that right after the birth, when you are holding your newborn baby for the first time and they're beginning to open their eyes and get all that gunk out of their eyes and, and they hear your voice for the first time and they're looking for you. Right, and they can't, they can't see real great yet, and they're kind of seeing all blurry, and they're, they're looking for you, and they hear you. And when you touch them, they, I'll, I love it when babies do the, you know, they do that thing. <laughs> you say something too loud. <laughs> they're like a fainting goat. <laughs> but it's so amazing to watch them. They have all these new senses, Right? They're hearing for the first time. They're seeing for the first time. They're touching and smelling and, and even tasting for the first time. And it's, it's all overwhelming to them. They have all these new senses. When you are born again, the same is true for you. You have all new senses. Like a newborn baby experiencing his mother's voice for the first time, so do we, when we are born again, suddenly have sense, spiritual senses and realities that we couldn't sense before. The realities that were invisible or inaudible to us, that now we begin to hear and see things that we never did before. There are truths that before you were born again, you might have known intellectually. Like you might have heard things intellectually and understood them in your brain, but, you, but they didn't sink down deep. They didn't mean anything to you. They didn't change you. You didn't feel them deeply, but when you were born again, they changed. For example, you might have heard John 3.16 before. You might have had a concept for that, that there is a God who loves me. But that, that truth was foolishness or silliness or it didn't really matter to you. It was just an abstract truth that you understood. But when you were born again, your eyes were opened and your heart was opened. And that truth melted you like it never did before. Rusty, one of our church members here was telling me just last week this experience for him, that he, he had read the prodigal son story hundreds of times before he was saved, before he was born again, and it, and it didn't mean anything to him. He tried to understand it, but it never connected to him. But after he came to know Christ, it says like his eyes were open and he saw it all like fresh and it melted him. It thrills your mind and it inflames your heart. You see, we, we see with new eyes, we hear with new ears, and our hearts melt. You might think, how did I never see this before? It was right in front of me. How could I have never heard this before, these truths, all my life? It's the reason that we hear this a lot of times. We hear people say, you know, I grew up in church. Honestly, I hear this all the time from pastors, from church planners, from just normal people. They say, I grew up in church my whole life, and I never heard the gospel. Now, did they never hear the gospel Maybe, maybe they were in a terrible church and they never heard the gospel. But what more often happens is they grew up in a church and the gospel was preached to them for years. But they were not born again and therefore they could not hear it. 
they could not see it. But once they came to faith, they looked back and they go, oh, it was in front of me all along. It was right there. It was right in my grasp all along. I just couldn't see it because they didn't have eyes to do so. But now they had new senses. So you might say, I always knew God loved me. But now I'm actually starting to sense that. It's starting to become real for me. It's starting to convict me. It's starting to encourage me. It starts to feed my soul. In verse 3, he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You can't see it unless you're born again. He is saying, when you have the new birth, you can see the kingdom of God right now. It's all around you. Open your eyes. Look, it's right here. It's here. He says the kingdom of God is breaking into the present. Open your eyes. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Don't you see it? It is the reason that when we see injustice done, when we see poverty, when we see wrongdoing, when we watch sin destroy someone's life, it is the reason that those things break us. It is why a big Strong, grown men cry when they see people they loved baptized. It is why the world, when the world does things that are perfectly normal for the world, but are not normal for the kingdom of God, it's why those, when we see those things happen, it jars us, and it just doesn't sit right with us. Like, why would people act that way or say, say things like that or do that? It jars us. See, the new birth gives us new eyes and new senses so we see things we never did before. But we can only see them if we have the new birth. But it also gives us something else. Not only does it give us new senses, but it brings us a new identity. See, the fact that Jesus uh, doesn't use a metaphor like planting a seed, something that is impersonal, instead uses something very intimate and special, tells us something. He talks about birth, not planting seeds. You see, because unlike planting seeds, babies are born into families. And that means when you are born again, you have a new identity. When you are born again, you are born into a new family. But here's the problem. We, all in this room, every one of us, we build our identities on many different things. We build our identities on so many different things, on beauty or how we look, on our money, our house, our cars, uh, uh, the, the picture. We build our identity on the picture that we are a well-put-together family. We don't have any problems. We don't have any issues. All is okay with us, and that's our identity. You know, or, or the identity that we're a good person or uh, that we're the good mom and we're not overwhelmed with our kids and our house is always clean, right? Some of us want that identity. Our house is always in order and our kids never scream. They're always behaving. Or the identity of a, a single man or a woman who was perfectly content in their stage of life and wishes people would stop trying to hook them up. We build identities on career, on education, on social standing. But do you know what all of those have in common? They're all earned. You must work to get there. You must rise to the challenge and build this identity. And when you have the new birth that God is offering you, he's saying that your identity is received, not achieved. You can't build it. It's built for you. And see, what happens is that is an incredibly freeing thing. See, your identity is rooted in God's love for you and the fact that he is now your father, that his love is unconditional, that he actually just likes you, Right? that he brought you into his family, that he made you his own, that there's freedom and rest and forgiveness and grace. 
Recently, I listened to uh, uh, this, this lady tell, the, tell her story, kind of her testimony. Um, and she talked about how she, over the years, had built her life on so many different identities and how it crushed her. Uh, she kind of said that. She said, when I was a young girl, I grew up in a conservative church. And I felt good about myself because I was a good person. I was very moral. I'm one of the good people, she said. But she said that turned her into this self-righteous Pharisee. And it put a lot of pressure on her. And finally, she just broke and she left the church. And then she said she started dating. She started getting into romantic relationships, which very often were not good. And she went on and she said at first she felt good about herself because she was so moral. But now she felt good about herself because somebody loved her. And she felt, as long as I have a guy who really thinks I'm great, as long as I have a man on my arm or I'm on his arm, then I'm okay. But of course, that turned into something bad because she found herself sticking in relationships that were bad or abusive too long. And she felt like, if nobody uh, loves me, I'm not okay. I'm nobody unless somebody loves me. But then some of her girlfriends come to her and they say to her, girl, you need to be liberated. And they said, you cannot build your identity on morality. You cannot build your identity on men. You need to get a career. Women, how many, how many times have you heard that? And you need to be proud of the fact that you're an independent career woman. And so she did. She got an education and she went and she got a career and she got this job. And then she realized I got just as destroyed when my career had a bump as when a guy broke up with me. My heart was still not safe. I don't feel good about myself because I was a successful career woman. And then someone came along and said, oh, you know, honey, this is what you really need. You're working too hard. You need to start to care for others. You need to start to help people. And if you get involved in all sorts of good deeds, she said you can start to volunteer and get, get involved with working with women in prison and working with the poor and doing all this stuff. And she did all that. And then she said, I was exhausted. And she said this after her story. She said, first I thought I was somebody because I was moral. Then I thought I was somebody because I was beautiful. Then I thought I was somebody because I was successful. Then I thought I was somebody because I was helpful. And then she heard the gospel. And she realized, I've been trying to save myself. That these identities don't work. And she gave herself to Christ and she said, God loves me and accepts me unconditionally. And it wasn't until I knew I was safe as his child that I could finally rest. And I could enjoy the rest of my life. You see, when you have the new birth, your identity is not based on your achievements. It is based on the achievement in Christ for you. That you are a child of the king and heir to the throne. That's your identity. And only the new birth gives you that. So finally, how do we get it? Verse 7 and 8. Jesus says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes in your heart, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. I love how Jesus says, do not marvel. Like, it's not a big deal. That you have to be born again. It's so funny because he says, do not marvel. And he says, but if you want to be born again, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you have no control over the wind. Can't even predict where it's going to go. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. 
You have no control over it. And so it is with all those who are born again. You have no control. We can look at it this way as well. How much control did you have over the day of your birth? None. You see, your natural birth didn't happen because you kind of went to your mom and dad and said, hey, I need you guys to get together, fall in love, get married, and have me, okay? And could you do it on June 12th? I need you to think nine months before that. And that's not what happened. You had no choice in the matter. Their choice was thrust upon you. Their choice was thrust upon you. They made you. And just like your natural birth came from another, so does your new birth, your spiritual birth, come from another. Your new birth is given to you by the Lord. It is the gift of God granted to you to give you life. You do nothing. You simply receive it. It is a gift. Over and over and over, the Bible is clear that the new birth is a gift from the Lord, that we don't get to boast. We can't brag and say, look, I made myself alive. We literally do nothing. Just like our natural birth, we simply receive it from someone else. And so you might say to me, well, Brent, if that is the case, how can I know if I am born again? How can I know? If, it's, if I can't do anything to get it, how can I know if it's happened to me? Well, at the same time that we have no control over our new birth, the Bible tells us again and again to repent and believe. Repent and believe. And this passage shows us, gives us a picture of what it looks like to repent and believe, what it looks like when someone is born again. Verse 14 and 15 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, this is referencing a story in Numbers 21, the story where all the Israelites are in the wilderness and there were all these venomous, poisonous snakes, right? Yuck. And all these snakes bite them, and they're so poisonous that all these Israelites are on the ground, they are on the edge of life, they can't hardly move, they can't hardly talk, they are about to die. And God tells Moses, I want you to take a bronze snake, make this staff bronze snake, and I want you to hold it up and tell the people to look at it. And if they look at it, they will be healed and they'll be saved. And they didn't have to crawl to it, they didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was lift their head, look at it, and they would be healed. They didn't have to touch it, they didn't have to get close enough to it, all they had to do was look. Charles Spurgeon, the, the man who would become the prince of preachers of the 19th century, the, one of these famous preachers, when he was a teenager, he was struggling to figure out what Christianity was and if he was a believer and if he wanted to even be a believer. And one day he wanted to go to church and uh, he was living in London. There was a big snowstorm and he couldn't go to the church that he wanted to because of all the snow in the 19th century. You could see that be posing a problem. And so he, he ends up going to this little um, Methodist church. He wasn't a Methodist, but he ends up going to this little bitty Methodist church, and uh, a primitive Methodist church, uh, close to his house in London. And when he gets there, it's basically empty because of the snow. There's about four people uh, in the congregation, and the preacher couldn't even make it because he couldn't get through the snow. And so what happens is one of the laymen, one of the, just, just some dude in the church, says, well, the preacher can't make it. He gets up, and he says, well, he's going to preach for the morning to, to now the three people in the crowd. And he gets up and he turns to Isaiah 45, 22. And he reads, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Look to me and be saved. And then the man begins to explain. Uh, he says, you know, you don't have to lift a finger to look. He says, you don't have to be worth a thousand pounds 
He says, you don't have to make a thousand pounds a year in order to look. You don't have to have anything true about you to look. You don't have to be good or bad to look. And then he looked at Spurgeon in the crowd and he said, young man, you look miserable. Called him out. And he says, you're going to be miserable in life and in death unless you obey this text. And at that moment, Spurgeon recalls, he's thinking this, and he said, I was ready for salvation. And then he said, I was ready for someone to tell me to do 50 things in order to get salvation, and I was willing to do it. He was looking for something to do, and he said, suddenly he realized, I don't have to do 50 things. All I have to do is look. He realized that he'd been looking to himself, and this is what he said, oh, I looked And I looked and I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. You see, where we look matters. And sometimes we're like Nicodemus. We like Jesus. We think Jesus is important. We think he has something important to teach us. We want to follow some of the things he says. But ultimately, we look to ourselves. We look inward for salvation. We think we've got something to merit You see, we must learn that looking to Jesus, that faith and repentance, is not simply being sorry for the bad things that we have done. It's not simply turning from bad things. But what we must learn is that true repentance is even turning from the failures of our own goodness. That we must even repent for the bad reasons we did good things. We must see that there is nothing good in us, nothing that gives us a leg up, that we are completely and totally spiritually bankrupt. And yet God comes and gives new life and new birth. Do you want to know how you know if the new birth has been given to you? Where are you looking? Are you looking to Christ or are you looking inside yourself? Do you look and say, I'm a good person, I'm good enough, surely I'll make it? Are you looking to the identities you've built your life on? If my life just looked like this or that, I always have a clean house. Are you looking for your testimony, the way you've changed your life? Looking to those things won't do it. You can only look to Christ. And if you are looking to Christ, and that is a sign that the new birth is yours. Because unless you are born again, The things of Christ are foolishness to you. Unless you are born again, the things of the gospel are silliness and you want no part of it. But when you have been born again, you have new eyes and you see clearly. See, when Jesus first tells Nicodemus, he has to be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I be born when you're old? Can I I get back in my mother's womb again? But Nicodemus missed the point, but he was close. Listen to this and I'm done. You see, I think we're somewhat immune to childbirth. You see, we live in a time of C-sections and epidurals and uh, good doctors. And when a woman goes to the hospital, she is not going thinking there's a good chance she doesn't leave. She's not going to the hospital thinking I might die. But in Jesus' day, there were no hospitals and no medicine and no doctors and no emergency C-sections. See, there's still pain today, but... Then every child was born into the world came through pain, through the pain and suffering of another. 
Every baby came into the world through the mother risking her life and in many cases giving her life to bring this baby into the world. And most women died giving childbirth. Jesus tells us this in John 16. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. We learned two weeks ago that when, the, when John uses that phrase, the hour, it's referring to Jesus' death. See, here's what Jesus is telling us. The only way that we can be born again is through the pain and suffering of another. That Jesus is like a woman in labor. And your birth will come not just through him risking his life, but through giving it. And what Jesus is saying is that I will have such joy. Such joy to see your life coming from my death. That our new birth can only come through the pain and suffering of another. And through not Jesus risking his life, but giving it. And Jesus says that once you have it, I will have such joy that the journey to get you there was worth it. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. You see, that's something, that's the only thing that can grant you new life. So where are you looking? You will never find new birth and new life through your own efforts, no matter what you do. But if you look to Christ, you will live and oh, what a full life you will have. You want to know who, who the new birth is for? I told you I'd answer this question. The new birth is for anyone who knows that they have a great need for Christ, that they have a great need for a Savior, and it is for anyone who would lift their gaze and look to Christ to save them. You need Christ, and you must trust him. That's who the new birth is for, for all who would look. It's from the future. It brings you new senses and a new identity. It's something only that God can give, and it's for all those who would look. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you would give to us, that you would make us alive, that you would give us a new birth so that we would never die, that you would make us anew. God, two, two particular people I'm thinking about this morning one is the people in this room who have thought religion would save them, who thought being a good enough person would save them, who thought if they could change enough, they could pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and go to church and get right and get religion would save them. Lord, help them to see this morning that that is rubbish, that they bring nothing to the table, that they are spiritually bankrupt, and that their only hope is to throw themselves on the mercy of Christ and cause God to give them new birth. It's their only hope. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that there are men up here on the sides and I'll be up here in the front. And I'd just love to talk with you about how, how you can look to Christ. What the, I mean, it's so easy. You just look up. You don't have to lift a finger. You just look to him. We'd love to help you in that. If you're here this morning, you say, Brent, you know what? I have been building my identity on the wrong things and I've been so consumed with my house being cleaned or getting that raise, getting that promotion, helping my kids behave or, or have, have, having my marriage look spotless and perfect and clean or I've just wanted this picture of my life and I realize that that identity is futile. I can't ever actually get there and it won't, and if I do it, I'll never get there and it'll crumble under the weight I'm putting on and I wanna put my 
identity in Christ. I know I'm a believer. I know I'm born again, but I want to put my identity in Christ and rest. Love to pray with you and just help you think through that. If you need to come up here and just pray, we want you to be able to do that. God, give us the courage to respond as we need to. We love you in Christ. And we pray all people said.